The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Learn about a set of blind teenage triplets and meet their adopted father. And how a really neat phone app assisted many people during the recent affiliate president's meeting and legislative seminar. Welcome to ACB Reports for March 2018. Oli Cantos has overcome many challenges and is a successful attorney and advocate for people with disabilities. In 2010, he took on his biggest challenge and advocacy role when he adopted a set of triplets who are blind. During the recently concluded Mid-Year Affiliate President's Meeting, Mr. Cantos talked about his life and the lives of his three sons. ACB President Kim Charlson gave his introduction. He's a gentleman that um, I met, we were figuring out probably about 13, 14 years ago when he um, delivered the commencement address at the Perkins School for the Blind. He's no stranger to our community. He's worked for AAPD. Um, He's always been an advocate. Probably his most uh, noteworthy achievement was when he served as the highest-ranking disabled person in the government under George Bush, George W. Bush, and he was the engagement and disability officer for um, the administration. So somebody that ACB has certainly worked with. He now works for the Department of Education as the chief counsel to the director. But one of the things that I just have the highest regard for him for is his life, his commitment, his, his personal life, and the commitment he made to his three sons. And you're going to hear a little bit about that story and, and about his journey in government, probably a little bit about his advocacy and his philosophy. But it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Oli Cantos. Thank you so much for being here, Oli. It's a pleasure to welcome you. Thank you very much, Kim. I really am grateful for the introduction, and it's fun getting to sit up here between you and Brian. It's, uh, it's really a, it's, it's just a blast. Uh, just being here in the room and hearing the names of various people who I continue to admire and reuniting with them, just not having seen many for a while, uh, it's just such a pleasure to, to get to be here. And when I look back over being involved in the blindness community for 28 years, I remember where it all started. And actually, the very first time that I left home, left California, went all the way across the country all by myself and never having done it before was when I attended an ACB convention in Richmond in 1989. So it's just really exciting to get to think about the journey that life has just entailed. And every time I think about life, I just think about how each of us really does make an incredible difference uh, through all that you do, all that we all do in the blindness world and beyond to make a positive and lasting difference uh, in a way that enhances our independence and accessibility. But for me, though, uh, I could never have imagined that this reality would ever have come to pass for me. Uh, I was born with ROP and born two months premature. And as a kid, I was actually bullied. 
every day. Kids would, would taunt me and they'd say, how many fingers am I holding up? They'd do the whole eye test. You know, un unfortunately, lots of us have faced that here. And I honestly had zero self-esteem in that part of my life. And I just remember how awful it felt. And I remember thinking about how the future just had no hope whatsoever. I just couldn't imagine. And plus, at the time, I, I tried to hide being blind. I didn't realize that it was what people thought about blindness that was a problem. It wasn't the blindness itself. And so uh, it, it just really was a difficult time. And so fast forward later, I wanted to be uh, an attorney and I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to make some money. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I actually just wanted to move ahead in that. But then after being involved in school and, and so forth, then I became an adult and then I went to, went to law school. I remember how difficult it was and I remember thinking, you know, how is it that I made it into law school with all of these brilliant people all around me? I, I just don't compare to any of these, these people and I thought, there's, I just don't know what I would do uh, in a situation where I felt like, gosh, maybe I just made the biggest mistake of my life because I just don't have the ability to handle this. And I just had all these doubts. But one thing that really, really helped me, that really brought me through that, was having friends who are blind who served as role models, uh, people who brought me along, who said, hey, you know, I know that things are difficult, but when you work at it and you just learn more skills, then you'll bring yourself along better. And the difficulty for me up to the age of 20 was that I actually didn't learn Braille by that point because I have 5% vision and one eye, and, and they tried to say just use technology. And, and what ended up happening was uh, I became functionally illiterate. I finally learned Braille at the age of 23. And so it was just really tough. But going through all of these experiences, I eventually emerged and did become an attorney. And the thing that I also was introduced to in 1999 was the cross-disability movement, finding ways to recognize that all of us have an opportunity each day to make a difference in the lives of all people around us, including other fellow people with disabilities. And, and that really was just a, a big turning point in my life. And so in the meantime, as life continued to progress, I, I ended up becoming an attorney in California and then uh, coming here to... Uh, the American Association of People with Disabilities, then going on to the Justice Department, working for the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, and then getting a presidential appointment to advisory committee, and then uh, doing some other things. And now I'm at the Department of Education uh, as special assistant to the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights. Looking at all of this, the thing that, that I just keep thinking about is just how we have so much work to do. And, and concurrent with all of this, into my life in 2010 came Leo, Nick, and Steven. The boys were 10 years old at the time. Leo was just really a happy-go-lucky kid, but he just was never really accepted by his peers. Nick, actually, by the age of 10, was so down on his life that, that he was suicidal. He tried to just stop breathing. He just wanted to not breathe. He had to see somebody, a psychologist, and it, he had no friends. He was just really angry, started fights, got into trouble. It was really tough. And uh, Stephen uh, was the Mr. Spock of the three. Oh, by the way, Leo, Nick, and Stephen are triplets. They all had their unique personalities. And so I originally was asked by a local social service agency to just be a mentor to them. But what became quickly apparent was that these boys... Uh, were more to me and meant more to me than just mentees. And eventually, through a story that would take even longer to describe, those boys became my sons.
and um, I, I just really am emotional every time I think about that because I can't imagine my life without them. And uh, the thing that really carried the day for them to this day was that because I was involved uh, in the organized blind movement and I just did whatever I could or I was also involved with my professional life dedicating my whole career to civil rights because of all of that with being involved in having friends in, from every part of the blindness community it really helped me with the lessons that I learned because I was able to apply those lessons to the boys lives and so even in spite of the, the difficulties that the boys had had that I have just described they eventually came out of their shell they excelled uh, academically, they got involved with extracurricular activities, and then what ultimately ended up as a result uh, by the time the, the boys were done with high school is that Stephen became the first totally blind drum major of an integrated high school marching band in American history. And, uh, <laughs> and he was also student body secretary, and, and so he said, hey dad, you were student body president, it's not the same. I said, yes, it's great, you're still doing a great job. And so, and then uh, the other thing that was really exciting is that by the time they finished high school, all the boys already had paid internships, and all three of them are the first totally blind triplet boys ever to become Eagle Scouts. And now something that is really special is the boys are up in Newton, Massachusetts at the Carroll Center for the Blind. They get to harass Brian here. Uh, and uh, he, he gets to teach them a lot of technology and, and other things. And, and the four of us are going to be spending time with the Charlsons this Friday and hang out with them for the Braille Challenge over the weekend. And it's just really, really magnificent. So when we think about all of the, the journeys that we each have, there are times of struggle, but there are also times of magnificent triumph. And there are times in between. And when we think about our journey, the fact remains that every single day presents amazing, amazing, wonderful opportunities for us to grow and, and to succeed. And with all of you who are here, uh, along with others who are going to be going to the Hill to advocate for policies that, that ACB is pushing forward and, and for all of the, the wonderful work that you all do uh, not only as part of the ACB, but also as part of your communities in which you live, we each get to join with one another, regardless of organization, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of anything. We get to move forward together to find ways to uh, be collaborative in, in promoting assistive technology and braille literacy and access to education and employment and entrepreneurship and transportation and housing and all sorts of things. And the thing that we all must always, always bear in mind with all that we do, including and especially the leaders here who have really made, all of you, have made a difference in the lives of those around you. That's why you were all elected. That's why you're all here. Because there are people who saw you for your leadership and who are following you now. And those individuals represent, for each of you, individual spheres of influence and as all of us move forward in doing everything we can to make that kind of difference that will have an impact, not only in a broad-based way, but in the lives of specific individuals. And when we do it with energy and with gusto and with excitement and in spirit of partnership, there is absolutely nothing that we can't do. And we must always, always 
remember to be grateful for all that we have, but also to be vigilant and never to allow any forces uh, against our community to divide us. Because when we make sure to stand together, then so many wonderful things result. I'm going to end my, my remarks there, but then also to open up uh, time for questions as, as Kim has instructed. So. My name is Judy Jackson, and I'm fascinated by the part of your story where your son was the first blind drum major. I have been both a TVI and am currently a, a rehab teacher. And when I work with transition students, that's one of the things that we deal with a lot is our students you know, wanting to be in things like the band and so forth. And so I'm interested to find out um, how... Um, you guys were able to work that out with the band director, and how did your sure. son get the information for thing? You know, when they were doing the formation and stuff on the field. Well, thank you, thank you uh, for for the question. Uh, there's a requirement in our home that the boys be involved in at least four to seven extracurricular activities. I wanted them to do that because I wanted them to see what they like and what they don't like, but also to always have the spirit of figuring things out. In this particular case with Stephen, the band director had literally no idea to how to, they would do the formations and how he would conduct. So what they did is they ended up uh, coming up with a system where he had a string and he used that to track where he was, and he practiced the formations over and over and over and over again. So he was out on the field uh, just as all drum majors are. The Arlington County School District here has always had a go-getter attitude. They've always said, hey, whatever the boys want to do, Nick wanted to do wrestling, so they said, sure. I mean, they just had no, no objections to whatever they, they wanted to do. That's the key as you work with families to really encourage the kids who you work with to really be actively involved and to be proactive and to find a way. And even if you don't know the answer, just to go for it and then to check with other parents who might have had experiences so that way you can exchange specific information. So there's always a way to find things to work. So that's how you can also make history. You may have mentioned this, but I was wondering, before you learned Braille, and I'm so glad you addressed this because Braille literacy is so important, what did you do when you were in college? How did you manage? I used recording for the blind and dyslexic no learning ally. I also strained, and it was really tough because I couldn't really do it for very long, and, and that was just a disaster. It was so difficult to go through. So I also had human readers. VR would cover that, and, and the, on, on campus they had work-study students also reading, so that's how I made my way through college. David Kingsbury from Massachusetts and also a staff member at the Carroll Center for the Blind. And I've noted in a very positive way the decibel level has really gone up in the last few weeks at the Carroll Center. <laughs> but the kids are lively and it's, it's a lot of fun that they're there. My question is, in earning all of their merit badges to become Eagle Scouts, what reasonable accommodations, if any, did they receive? I'm just Good question. trying to wrap my head around how that happens. The boys had their eye on Eagle from when they were 12, and knowing, I mean, it actually took longer to fulfill some requirements, but because we mapped out the pathway to Eagle, it literally just took the scout leaders coming together, like trying to figure out how to do knots exactly. That was a process. And, and uh, the thing that we really love is when we all went to the firing range and we asked the, the folks to hand guns to the boys. <laughs> that was really fun and funny. <laughs> but the, the scout leadership actually just said, hey, we will find a way to make it work. And, and so a, a part of the accommodations that took place were just simply just taking more time and planning it out rather than waiting to the last minute. Sometimes other boys have the opportunity to just wait longer because they could just crank them out really fast. But because it took the boys longer, they were able to build that into their whole scouting experience from the time they started 
Uh, and then the other thing that was important too is that the boys wanted to finish earning the rank of Eagle Scout by the age of 18 without any time extensions. And so they now have the pride of, of saying that though there were accommodations along the way in terms of just making sure that they had more time to do things and just trying to figure things out, at the same time, they still finished on time just like other boys. So that was a big lesson for them as well. And I want to ask the last question if you're comfortable answering this. I know the boys are at the Carroll Center for several more months. I think they leave in June. What are their plans right now? They're 18, but I know they all have plans. Stephen actually has his heart set on becoming a copyright lawyer. Somehow he likes copyright, and so he talks to me about copyright regulations and fair use doctrine and all sorts of stuff that I didn't know anything about. I'm a librarian. He's a boy after my heart here. <laughs> we love copyright lawyers. Right, yeah, and he loves that. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Leo wants to go into accessibility policy, and his dream is to work at Microsoft. And uh, uh, Nick uh, wants to be uh, an entrepreneur, and, and already he's actually actively building our Amway business. And plus, he's doing other things besides. So all three of them are really working hard to build their own dreams, and it's just really so, so magnificent to watch. That was Oli Cantos addressing the mid-year affiliate president's meeting of the American Council of the Blind. During that same meeting... ACB member Scott Marshall described some of the new features of ARA, spelled A-I-R-A. ARA is a phone app that interfaces with a set of special glasses to provide live, real-time assistance for its users. Some of you may have heard of some new technology that's been around for maybe a year or so, kind of helps people explore the environment with an agent to help them. What am I talking about? Ira, that's right. You may have seen on some of the ACB lists a couple weeks ago that Suman Kanyaganti, the CEO of Ira, made some generous arrangements. And some of you, I know, have already experienced those things where you could use your Ira technology to help you in Reagan Airport, Union Station, this hotel, and on Tuesday... Capitol Hill. Can you imagine having Ira in your pocket, or as I've been quoted many times in, in the news lately with respect to Ira, it's like having a sighted person in your pocket. <laughs> you can pull them out when you need them, and you can put them back when you don't. <laughs> so <laughs> That part didn't get quoted in the paper. So Capitol Hill, the Cannon office building with Ira as your partner. Pretty cool stuff. Today... Um, representing Ira is a um, gentleman who's no stranger to ACB. It's Mr. Scott Marshall to give us an update on some other Ira news. Thank you very much, Kim. I'm really here today for Paul Schrader, who had another commitment. He's, you know, the director of policy for Ira. And he wanted me to share a few uh, bits of exciting news for you about Ira. And I also wanted to mention a couple of things just in my own experience. I've been a user for a little over a year now and uh, how it's really sort of worked into my life and how I'm always finding new ways of, of working this really remarkable augmented technology into what I do almost every day. And you can decide when you become a subscriber how much you'll use, what you'll use it for. 
what you want to pay for. It's incredibly flexible. And you know, information is our, one of our biggest barriers. Acquiring information in a timely manner, fast, accurate. And I know my boss wants his emails answered in two minutes even when they come in at 8 o'clock at night. And uh, that means a little research is required. Uh, I've got to do it then. IRA is a very, very good tool for helping bridge that need for instantaneous access to information, be it telling what the cans are, are they peaches, or are they baked beans? Uh, you drop the credit card on the living room floor a half hour before you're going on a trip. And uh, what would you do normally? Crawl around the floor finding it? Yeah, okay. The other day, uh, my, my microwave quit. You know, a day without a microwave is a day without sunshine. One minute on Ira, she said, oh, press the timer button. You can't run the microwave when the timer's on. As I said, there's nothing too big or too small that Ira won't do or won't help you do. And again, you're always in control. But I didn't have Ira at the time, about two years ago, coming back from this event, this hotel, one night after having some drinks and food and not too much drink. Right, Will? Right, Gabriel? <laughs> anyway... I, I had an Uber driver that didn't have any language skills. Uh, has this happened to you? Okay. And I got over on Crystal Drive, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L. Oh, it, I wasn't communicating at all. He didn't know where he was going. He couldn't tell me where he was. Finally, at 11 o'clock at night, I said, stop the car. I got out. And what my plan was, I, didn't, I had a new phone, no Wine Square, no GPS app on it at, the, at that time. No IRA yet, of course. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I have no idea really where I am. Kind of scary, huh? Well, and I called 911. I thought, boy, they'll geolocate. No, they don't. You can't rely on them doing that. They told me it was a long, drawn-out process. It took over an hour and they only did it in life and death emergencies. I said, what do you call this? And we had one hell of a, uh, excuse my language, conversation the next day. But it was a scary time. But IRA could have helped with that. IRA would have had an automatic geolocation on your location with local maps to tell you exactly where you are and get you to where you wanted to go. But I wanted to tell you about a couple of new programs that IRA has that, that's really making it more affordable because they know that a lot of people aren't always able to pay as much as they'd like to for the assistive technology that they need. A couple of new programs, the IRA Employment Program, which will give you free time on the network for job-seeking activities, uh, things like uh, preparing a resume, Picking out uh, that Armani suit for that job interview, becoming familiar with the potential employer's workplace, you name it. If it's uh, employment-seeking related, those minutes will be free. You've already heard about the site program, and I hope you're trying it. It worked in the hotel when I walked in this morning, and I used Ira coming to this room and getting a table. And I think, it wasn't in my notes, but... I think all the Smithsonian museums are, at least for the duration, included, too. They showed up in the app this morning, that's all I can tell you, as site access. And those of us who live around here hope this, this will become permanent. And then the guest program, the guest program where 
If you want to try before you buy, you can, and you can even do this today. You download the app, put your email address in, and if you're in one of the site access locations, like this hotel, like the Capitol Hill buildings, then you can make unlimited agent calls using your phone. You won't have the glasses. You have to be a signed-up subscriber to get a pair of the glasses. But you can use the camera phone, get a real kinds of hands-on experience to find out whether Ira might be for you, and then you'll be called by a person from their staff to uh, inquire about your experience and to answer any other questions you might have. Also, the new ADP program, the Audio Describe program of Ira, uh, is also new, uh, so new that they really didn't have any details on how it's going to work quite yet, but they realized that uh, our friend uh, Joel Snyder is an expert in the video description industry, and Ira's staff will be meeting with him to see how they can utilize his knowledge and expertise to improve the training of their agents that are really a key to how Ira works. And the training program already now is about a month, and uh, that's pretty awesome but they also know that they can always get better. I could go on and on, but I will leave you with uh, the thought that the most challenging thing for me about Ira is figuring out when I can use it and that I actually do have sighted assistance on demand almost virtually 24-7. They operate from 7 a.m. now to 1 a.m. and it eventually will be 24-7, I'm sure. Thanks for having me, and uh, have a good day. That was ACB member Scott Marshall. You can learn more about ARA at their website, aira.io, or by calling 858-876-2472. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ¶¶